Please take your Bibles, and we'll look at two different verses this morning in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 9. Many years ago, there was a very successful businessman that was known for his unparalleled wealth, his great looks, and his intelligence. This guy had conquered life, and he went out on a pursuit to try to maximize his life and all that he could get in it. So he went down the paths of pleasure. Because of his vast wealth, he was able to to have the finest foods and drinks. You know, that's satisfied for a little while. And then he decided to go down another path, and that was the arts. He hired the, the most talented musicians and actors, and they played for him, and they did plays for him, and, and he provided a lot of laughter for him, but that, too, faded for him. He decided to try his hand at architecture, and so he had some plans drawn up, and he had some gardens and magnificent buildings and and parks and pools that were built. And there was a sense of satisfaction, but that too only lasted for a little while. And then his eye was captivated by the beauty of women, and so he did not hold back, and he slept with over a thousand different women. And as Solomon went down this path of seeking fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life, he eventually wrote out in the book of Ecclesiastes what he concluded life would all come down to. Let me read to you. He said, this is what man should do. Two words. Fear God. And this is the whole duty of man. Translation, live this life in preparation for the life to come. And you will do that if you fear God. Jesus told a story of another successful businessman. One of his assets was this large field. And this field was very fertile. In one particular season, there was such a great harvest that came is that this businessman did not have enough warehouse space or barns to be able to put all of the yield of the harvest into it. So he did what any skilled businessman would do. He, he had a business plan, and that included tearing down the warehouse or shed and building multiple ones. And that plan would include some personal goals of comfort and ease in his later years. And while he was all about setting business plans and personal plans, unfortunately for him, his plan never took into account the fear of God. And Before he could even activate this plan, his life was required of him one evening. And Jesus concluded that he was a fool. When we look here, at the Bible, we see that the fear of the Lord and the fear of God 
is a theme that runs throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. In fact, one cannot even be a follower of God or be a Christian unless they understand and apply the fear of the Lord to their life. So let us consider these two verses in Proverbs 1. Verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What we see here is this theme, that when you set out on life, you ought to begin with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is this collection of information and facts and truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's how you apply that information and facts and truth. You can tell the difference between a woman over here that fears God and a woman over here that does not fear God and how they spend their life. And how they steward the time and resources that they have. And what they will do with their future. It all comes back to whether I will listen to what God says or not. Considering this fear of God. I can think of a time when I was a little boy. And I might have heard someone say, That right there is a God-fearing man. And you know what? That was a tremendous compliment to pay someone. It was as if that person is a godly man or a godly woman. I wonder what would happen today if you heard someone say the same. Right there is a God-fearing man or a woman. It seems to me that over the decades, that phrase has been tarnished a bit. And I'm afraid that that expression might give these connotations, like that person is out of date with the times. Yeah, they might go to church, but they're going to wear a black suit with a black tie, or that woman will come with a black dress with no makeup on their face and and their hair done up, up, up on their head without even trying to fix it. They haven't smiled or laughed since the 1970s. And they are continually bitter over the affairs of our country. I mean, that's what it seems to be that we kind of default back into a God-fearing woman or a God-fearing man. Well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Here's a definition. I'm just going to give it to you. The fear of God is to have an accurate view of God and of oneself. Sometimes it's helpful to be able to define something by giving it the opposite definition. So if you are here today and you do not fear God, that is, you do not have an accurate view of God, or you are ignoring God, or you are downplaying Him, or you are flippant with what He says in His Word. You are very casual I like what Ed Welch did. He said, when you think of the fear of God or the fear of the Lord, it really operates on a continuum. On the left-hand side of this continuum is for a person that is just born into this world. And we all hold this same 
similarity in that we are all born into sin. And as a result of that, there is a fear within us of God's holiness, that He is the good and righteous judge. And there is a guilt within us, a condemnation within us, that we know that we will stand before God someday. As a result, there's a terror, there's a dread, there's a trembling that comes over us. Because for us, God is impersonal. As a result, we hide and we fear the judgment of God. So when we say the fear of God, that's what we mean to someone that has never had their sins forgiven. But if God in His mercy has opened your eyes to your sin, to realize that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, by placing your faith in what Jesus has done for you, you do not need to fear God's wrath. Rather, on the right side of this continuum, the fear of the Lord takes on a different expression. It's that of awe, of reverence, of devotion, of trust, of worship that's characterized by fellowship, joy, and peace. And God is not impersonal. Rather, God is personal. So let me just share with you where we're going this morning and then where we're going ahead in the next couple of weeks. This morning, I want to give a message to you on the left side of this continuum. Let's start there. As a result, it may feel a little warmer in the middle of this message because we're going to speak about God's holiness and God's wrath and God's judgment. And you know, fear is not always a bad thing, is it? Earlier this uh, this year, we had a, a, a winter storm that blew through and I got behind in removing snow. So one of my boys was going to help me with the snowblower and I was giving him a little training. And, and as I was going over starting it and using it, there's that chute where the snow comes out of. And I said to him, whatever you do, never, never, never put your hands in that chute. Because your great-grandfather, Hurtler, lost a few fingers for doing that. And I don't want that to happen to you. I was attempting to strike some fear into him for his good. Those of you remember driver's ed class, I do. And all I remember from driver's ed was the, we didn't have a TV back then, it was the film projector. And they would show these gruesome movies of people who did not put their seatbelt on. And what were they trying to do? Put fear in us that we would wear our seatbelt. Perhaps you've gone through Hunter Safety and you've seen these videos of people who are flippant and casual with a gun and as a result of that got shot and maybe lost their life. Well, this message today may feel like that because the fear of God ought to drive you to seeking forgiveness, a refuge from the wrath of God. Next week, if the Lord allows, we will go on the right side of this continuum to those who have had their sins forgiven. Well, the fear of the Lord looks different for you than it does for one that is still in their sins. If the Lord allows, two weeks from today, we'll talk about ways that you can strengthen the fear of God in your life because this is so important for us. 
And then on Mother's Day, we'll talk about the blessings that come when we fear God. And parents, let me just share with you, I'm just saying to you, I think the Bible would say the greatest inheritance that you can give to your children or your grandchildren is not the 40 acres of prime hunting land in the northern part of the state or the cottage on on the lake. The greatest inheritance that you can give to your children and grandchildren is a fear of God. And I think you'll see that bore out in the Scriptures as we hit that on Mother's Day. So today, let us consider that God is to be feared. Now, I could spend an entire series of messages, 16 messages on the different attributes of God, and that would be time well spent. Because if we want to know who we are, we have to first begin with who God is. But let me just give you two different attributes today. The first is that God is transcendent. All I mean by that is that God is different than us. If you think that God is the oldest man to ever live, and that's why he is so wise, you are a billion times wrong. God is not a man. He is a spirit, and he is very different than us. In a way to kind of be put in our place, to understand the immensity of God and his power, there's value in us just studying what he has created. So let me just give you a few of these things. Consider the moon with me. It's 2,100 miles in diameter. It's about 240,000 miles from the moon to the earth. Now, some of you have had vehicles, or maybe you have a vehicle right now that is over 240,000 miles on it. My last vehicle was like that. In theory, you could have driven off the dealer from here, if there was a highway, to the moon, and you could have made it. Well, consider with me the sun. This hot ball of hydrogen gas is 400 times further away than the moon And it is a hundred times the size of the earth. And this is what the Word of God says. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power, by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. On day four, he did that. Let's stay in our solar system and consider with me Pluto. This tiny, frozen world. It's 40 times further away than the sun. And if you had the ability to get into your car and go 65 miles an hour, it would take you, listen to this, 6,500 years to get to Pluto. Or my wife. No, just kidding. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I didn't ask for permission, so I won't do that. The nearest star system to the earth is called Alpha Ceteriae. It is 6,800 times further than the earth to Pluto. That's 25 trillion miles away. I don't even know what that is. And then consider the Milky Way galaxy that contains over 100 billion stars. And this is what the scripture says. God determined the number of the stars and he gives to all of them 
their names. It is estimated that there are a hundred billion galaxies. And this is what the Word of God says. Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He just spoke. And this came to being. So for us to have an understanding of why we need to fear God, there's a value for us to understand who this God is. He is transcendent. He is immense. Well, let us consider another attribute, and that is that God is holy. When we look at Proverbs 9, verse 10, the second part of that says, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. To understand the fear of God, we need to understand who God is. And in Isaiah chapter 6, this familiar passage, there is a prophet, there is a preacher that comes into contact with the presence of God. It is there where Isaiah goes into the temple, and there are these angels. And as these angels fly around the presence of God, they are calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations and the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. These angels, as they're flying around, are literally covering their eyes. Why? Because the holiness of God is so piercing that they have to protect their eyes from it. And if these are sinless creatures, how much more us sinful creatures would we tremble at the fear of God? Verse 5 says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We can appreciate a fire. We can cozy up to its warmth. It can allow our eyes to be dazzled as the flames dance around But if we get too close to the fire, we can be scorched. And in Hebrews 12, verse 9, it says that God is a consuming fire. He is holy. And as a result, we are to fear, fear the wrath to come. You see, the problem does not lie with God's holiness The problem lies with our sinfulness. And this is why we are to fear God. We are to fear His judgment. Because His holiness will fuel His justice. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, verse 18, that not any of us fear God. And when we come into contact with this holiness, the consequences are severe. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They were put here on this earth and given a lot of freedom. There was just one tree that they were not permitted to eat from. And in an act of not fearing God and His Word, they took of the fruit. And as a result, death and disease entered this world. 
Not only this, but blood needed to be shed. An animal needed to be killed. And the animal's skins needed to be taken off to cover the nakedness of this man and this woman. Not long after that, their sons, one of them killed the other. God's holiness contrasted with man's sinfulness. The earth was populated. However, men and women were sinful and evil. And as a result of God's holiness, He wiped out the entire earth apart from Noah and his family. God's holiness coming into contrast with man's sinfulness. Years passed. The world was repopulated. In mercy, God instituted a sacrificial system where animals like bulls and sheep would serve as substitutes for for the wrath. And instead of the man and woman being killed, these animals would be killed in their place. And there was a priest named Aaron. And he was prescribed of how to offer these sacrifices. But he had some sons that were used to and familiar with the temple practices. And instead of following the law to a T, they were flippant, they were casual, and they offered up these sacrifices the way they wanted to. And God struck them dead. God's holiness contrasted with man's flippancy. Well, we could spend more time in the Old Testament, but for the sake of time, let me accelerate to the New Testament. In the early church, as the church was growing, and and people were sacrificing for one another, there was this husband and wife that had some land, and they sold it, and they were going to give the proceeds to the church, but they actually lied to the leaders of that church on how much they sold it for and gave And God struck them dead. There was Herod the king. He came out one day in his royal robes. And he delivered a a very eloquent speech. And the people in response said, This is not a man. This is a God. And as he received that glory, God struck him dead. We are seeing this pattern throughout the scriptures of a holy God contrasted with a sinful man and there being judgment, a very severe judgment. Now it could be that you're sitting here today and you're saying, do you really believe this stuff? I mean, come on, that this God is going to fear and this God is is one that needs to be feared and he's going to judge us with his wrath. Do you really believe that? I'm reminded of a story that I heard uh, this past week about the great D.L. Moody. He was preaching in, in uh, London. Uh, you've probably heard of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And as he was preaching along these same lines of God's judgment upon people and how Jesus is the only one who can save the people, there was a very sophisticated man way in the back And he just rolled his eyes at this archaic message. And he said, does he really think that the educated people of our society will actually believe what he is preaching from this dated book? So he had a sheet of paper. And he wrote out the words, fool, F-O-O-L. And he, he called for an usher. 
He gave him that paper and he says, you deliver this to that preacher right there. And there is D.L. Moody right in the middle of his message, preaching his heart out. And this usher comes up with a piece of paper and he hands it to him. And he opens it up and he looks at the word fool and he says, ladies and gentlemen, it is not unusual for me to receive a letter that has not been signed. But today, I've actually received the opposite. I've received a letter that has been signed. But there's been no letter. Here's what the Bible says. For those of us that are still in our sin, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And in Romans 2, verse 5, it says, Because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's the word picture. Is that every time you sin and every time you defy God, it's like more wood is being put in the furnace that will heat the hell that you will go to. Do you see as we've considered these stories of Adam and Eve and Aaron, of Noah, of Ananus and Sapphira, of, of King Herod, they don't tell the whole story because the whole story is that they just slipped from one life into another. But what about Jesus? Did he ever weigh in on this fear of God? Listen to what he said in Matthew 10, verse 28. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. When one dies under God's judgment, according to the Bible, they go to hell. This is what Jesus said of hell. He said, speaking of the final judgment, he said, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So when he said in Matthew 13, he said that hell is a furnace of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said in Mark 9, it's the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Revelation 14, it says that hell will be for people that will be tormented with fire and brimstone. In 14.11, it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever. And they have no rest day and night. You see, the wise person will listen to these words and will allow that fear to find refuge. The problem in our country today, the problem in our city today, the problem in our world today, the problem in my life today is that I do not have an adequate fear of God. I'm just going to be honest then. I'll tell you one of the things that really motivates me to do this message is because I'm concerned about my own heart and the lack of evangelism that I've done recently. Because I'm persuaded if I really believed what I've just said over the last 15 minutes, that God is just, that God is going to pour out His wrath, that God is 
to be feared and that hell is real, that you could not stop me from sharing the gospel. One of the reasons I want to go through this with you is that's where I want to be, is that if we really believe this, it's going to, it's going to change our gospel witness. Yes, we have a major problem in our society today. And you can trace it back to a lack of fear of God. You could look at the school systems and the school boards. You could look at the laws that are being passed. You could look at the governor. You could look at our president. You could look at all the different representatives. And you could ask yourselves, is there any fear of God at all? Are they aware that these laws that are being passed, these decisions that are being made, they will have to give an account for? Perhaps one of the things that we ought to do is to love them enough to pray that they would have a fear of God. Yes, the freight train is coming. And there you stand there on the track The freight train of God's wrath is coming down and you can see the bills of smoke. You can hear the siren and it is coming at 90 miles an hour. And it is about ready to crush you. But here's some good news. Is that Jesus has come to absorb God's wrath. So you do not need to live in terror. Let me read to you Psalm 85 verse 9 that says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. You see how the fear of God, as it is lingering over one, will allow them and drive them to find a refuge from this wrath. Where can I go that I could be saved from it? Imagine you are in the Black Hills of South Dakota. The reason I chose that, that's one of my favorite ranges. And you were hiking. And as you were hiking and you were enjoying the beautiful scenery of the mountains, of the trees, you look off into the horizon and you see that there is a storm that is ferociously coming your way. You can hear the echo of thunder. You can see the flashes of lightning. And off in the distance of a little town called Custer, you can even hear the sirens that are being signifying that there is going to be a tornado that is coming your way. And as it is approaching rapidly, you begin to look for a place where you can escape the wrath of the storm. Suddenly you find in God's mercy a cave that is big enough for you to be able to settle in, to keep you dry, to keep you protected, and to keep you warm. And as you nestle into that cave... The storm hits, and there was winds, and there was hail, and there's a driving rain, and there's this pounding thunder, and these cracks and flashes of lightning that give way to a tornado that just rips through the valley, bringing absolute desolation to the trees and to the rocks. And it rails all evening long. And in the morning you wake up, You come out of that cave and you see absolute destruction. But what happened? You found protection. You found refuge. 
You see, here's the truth of the Bible. Is that God's wrath will be poured out. It'll either be poured out on you or it has been poured out on his son, Jesus. And you see, Jesus is the cave. He is the refuge. You need to run to him. You need to seek him while he can still be found. Listen to what Psalm 31 verse 19 says. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. If you're here in person, if you're viewing online, if you're listening to this on audio sometime later, with everything that I have within me, I say to you, flee the wrath to come. Find your refuge in Jesus. John 3 verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus while you can. Place your faith that he will save you from the wrath that is to come. He has done so by dying on the cross, taking your sins upon himself. Turn from those sins, repent, and become a follower of Jesus and do so today. Do so now. And then a remarkable thing takes place. You can look at the same graphic. And when you have placed your faith in Christ, you're no longer on the left side where you're in terror, when you're in dread, when you're in trembling. But God becomes personal to you. And you can experience fellowship, joy, and peace. Let me give you a few applications on the back side of your outline and then we'll be finished. The first, it's just so clear. As we consider what it means to fear God, Fear the wrath, fear the judgment that is coming. While you still can, flee and find your safety in the arms of Jesus. What does that mean? That means to cry out to be saved, to realize that Jesus took your wrath that you deserve. And when you do that, you will be born again. You will receive the Holy Spirit. He will put within you a desire to learn and obey Him to be around God's people, to share this good news with others. And then, would you join me in praying this prayer? This is what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 86, 11. This is what I'd like us to pray over this next month. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Anyone else here have a divided heart sometimes? And you feel pulled in multiple directions? Well, Lord, this is my prayer. That all of my life would be united under this. That I want to revere you. I want to respect you. I want to love you. Because you are worthy. So there are your applications. Would you join me in doing that? Seek the refuge while it's still found. And over these next couple of weeks, let's learn more about what it means to fear God and receive the blessings that come with that. Music team, you can come. Join me as we pray.
Father, there's nothing delightful or joyful about sharing this message today. But I think there's something loving about it. To take something that is so central to the Bible, that is all over the place, and to be able to say we need to key in on this. There's a lack of fear here. There's a lack of fear in the, in the world, in our city, in our country. And before we get all worked up and start pointing our finger at others, we're reminded of what the Bible says, that judgment starts in the house of God. And I have an ambitious request. In the same way that the early church had this combination of fear, and growing. May you do that here, where there would be a reverence for you, not a flippancy, not, a, not taking you casual. Yes, a delight. Yes, a joy. But also an awe. And may we be able to come alongside and encourage one another to that awe. So help us to think through these things and learn about these things in the weeks to come. May we be refreshed in them. May we be challenged in them. But may then it be said of each of us here, that's a God-fearing man. That's a God-fearing woman. That's a God-fearing boy, a God-fearing girl. And we would receive that the way it is intended. That's a person there that loves you and is devoted to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing this great song about God being our vision, starting with Him in our life.